Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to another episode in the continuing saga of FNO InsureTech. This is not a real crime podcast. It's not a mystery podcast. It's not a drug use podcast. It is an InsureTech podcast where all we do is talk about InsureTech and insurance with big shots from the industry who are all kind enough to say, sure, I'll be on your podcast. And they come and they be with us. I am Rob Beller from Alacrity Solutions, and Lee Boyd, my usual partner in crime, could not make it today for reasons that we'll have to dig into at another podcast, but actually he's busy doing real work. And so you get me today, but you don't just get me, more importantly, you get our guest who is back for the second time. He was here two years ago during COVID uh, at a time when so much was different in the economy, so much was different in InsureTech, so much was different in valuations. And we have with us Andy Lerner, Managing Director at IA Capital Group. And Andy is known as one of the longest running VCs in the InsureTech space. Uh, he's in, invested in many, many, many uh, winning organizations through the years. And he and his group at IA Capital are famous for their discipline and their knowledge and their instincts about who wins and who doesn't. When we had on Andy last time, we talked about his company and what they do. And today we we took it in a little different direction because it's been two years. And we talked about, we, we were talking about the current state of the InsureTech world, which is if you work in InsureTech or in insurance, you know that things are very different today than they were in January of 2022. So not only do we hear about the way things are different today, we also hear about the way they're the same. And just as importantly, look out a few years down the road to uh, what Andy believes the future may hold for us. So great to have you all with us and to hear uh, our friend Andy Lerner talk about the state of the industry. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with Andy Lerner, Managing Director at IA Capital Group. Hey, everybody. We are here without Lee, but very excitingly, excitingly, we do have a special guest with us, a two-timer, a second time around the bases for Andy Lerner from IA Capital. Welcome back to the podcast, Andy. Thank you, Rob. It's uh, it's great to be here. I had such a great time last time. I'm excited to uh, talk to you again. Good, good. 
We uh, apologize that Lee couldn't be with us today, but uh, I ran into you just to, for the audience. I ran into you very briefly at ITC, and you were running around looking harried, like you had a lot to do. Absolutely. But because I'm pushy, I took the opportunity and said, hey, you got to get back on. And you volunteered in a second. You were great. Thank you. You know, going on the podcast with you guys has been very valuable to us because we talked to new startup companies every day, strangers to us, right? We haven't met them before, but they know about me. They know about our company because they've listened to the podcast. They've done their homework before they even meet me. And it's super helpful because they know what I look for in, in an investment. They have the background. So you, you've really done a service for us and I'm sure the whole industry. So I, I couldn't be more excited to be on here again. Well, gosh, that's terrific. I uh, never heard that specifically before. And if that's the case, that makes it all worth it. That's why I that's jumped cool. at the opportunity to, to be there again. But I will say the world has maybe changed uh, since I was on last in January 2022, but I'm the same person. And I think that le that last podcast is still valuable for investors or other people that are interested in working with IA Capital as well. So I didn't come on to correct anything from the last podcast. I think it went really well, but very Good. happy to do it again. Good. Well, we're going to cover a little bit of territory that we covered before, just a little, but there's a bunch of specific uh, new territory that, that, that I'd like to cover um, that we'll get to in a few minutes. But just in case, for those people who just discovered that there's something called a podcast, that there's these podcasts out there in the world, and you're not one of the seven people who subscribe to our podcast, tell us a little bit about IA Capital and what makes you guys special and unique. Sure. We're a venture capital firm. IA stands for Inter-Atlantic. So sometimes you see our, the Inter-Atlantic name. Sometimes you see the IA Capital name. It's the same firm. You could check us out at iacapgroup.com or interatlanticgroup.com. It's all same website. We've been around since the 90s, and all we do is invest in fintech and insure tech. We've invested in those areas before there was a word for fintech or, or, or insure tech. So we are the longest tenured, most experienced venture capital firm in the world with a primary focus on insure tech. 23 years, we're investing our ninth fund. We're launching our 10th fund next year. We're strategic venture capital, so that means our investors are predominantly insurance companies, in addition to hopefully making good investments for them and have, having the, their money appreciate, where we offer connectivity into the startup world. The largest insurance companies have teams of people that can do in a, you know, innovation or, or meet with startups, but most insurance companies don't have teams of people that, that spend their time on what's happening in, in the startup ecosystem. So we can be eyes and ears for them on what's happening in the startup world. And the startups we meet with want to be connected to insurance companies. So we're a great place for that. We have 20 insurance companies. These startups might want to do business uh, with insurance companies. And you know we're, we're not beholden to any one insurance company. We're completely independently owned firm. But we have 20 insurance companies from huge insurance companies that have you know, over our largest one manages over a trillion dollars in assets to, you know, more smaller, mid-sized regional insurance companies. I will say we are predominantly U.S. focused, U.S. Canada focused. Large majority of our, our startup investments are based in the U.S., but we do invest nationwide. We do have our offices in New York, but there's 14 of us, seven core members of our team, and then uh, seven uh, 
you know, part-time advisory partners. And we try to look at everything in InsureTech, so not only P&C, Rob, which I know is the focus of, of your firm, but life InsureTech, health InsureTech. And then we look at FinTech that is perhaps of interest or connected to insurance companies like payments, wealth management, asset management are very interesting for the life insurance companies we work with. So we look at most things in fintech and we look at everything in insuretech. Just the stage of companies, just for if, if you're an entrepreneur looking to us, we'll meet you and get to know you at any stage company. But for us to actively consider investment, we, we want companies that already have revenue, preferably one to $2 million of revenue and up. So you know, our sweet spot is what people call Series A, Series A in investments. But we'll, we'll meet you if you're a seed stage company, and, and hopefully stay in touch and 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 grow into it. Uh, so I, I do think we're the premier insuretech investor in in that Series A. There are a lot of newer firms out there. We, we work with everybody. We work with the independent firms. We work with the strategic venture capital arms of large insurance companies. But we're longest tenured and perhaps the the most active. I just saw FT Partners published through first nine months of this year, the most active venture capital firms worldwide in InsureTech. And we were tied with Munich Re for first. Congratulations. Wow. Yeah. And Munich Re this year are the, are the most active investors worldwide in InsureTech. That, that surprises me. I mean, Munich Re. Yeah, a little, a little bigger than us. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. you guys don't usually get thrown into the you know, same hopper. As exactly. we agree, what, what, what's, what's behind that? Well, we think it's a great time to put new money to work. Valuations have come down an awful lot, and we can you know, talk about that some more. Uh, but 2021 was the high water mark for InsureTech, FinTech valuations. And today we're seeing great companies at attractive, reasonable valuations. Not they're cheap. You can't get a, a great company for nothing. But at very fair valuations, we're seeing great opportunities to invest. So we think it's a good year to put to put money to work um, in, in the sector. Okay. And do you see those valuations stabilizing, continuing to adjust lower? What do you have do you have a sense of that? Yeah, I think a lot has to do with the interest rates. So so the number one reason why there were so many IPOs in 2020 and 2021 and the public insure techs were, were trading pretty high, and, and they've come down so much in, in the last couple of years. There's no fintech or insure tech IPOs this year, at least in the United States. So the public markets are very, very slow. I think interest rates have to come back down to get, to get that going again. You know, of, of course, it doesn't matter for the investments we're making now, but one day we'll want to sell these investments or have them go public. And at that point, the public markets really do matter. So when we make an investment today in 2023, our average holding period is about five years. So I do care about what the public markets are going to be like in 2028 for investments we make today, but we don't know, right? We don't. We, it's hard to time the markets, public markets. If I could predict interest rates perfectly, I'd make a lot of money as, as a, at a hedge fund. But we, we try to invest in great companies that are going to grow and be solid in almost any macroeconomic conditions. But for the industry to get great returns like it did a couple of years ago, we do need interest rates to come down and public markets to come to come back. Uh-huh. 
I mean, this is a major difference between today and the last time we spoke. I, I don't know what interest rates were when we spoke then, but uh, yeah, interest rates are were a lot lower, but the the public markets had already started to really decline when we spoke last. So I would say 2022 and 2023 have been a tough time for the public insure tech companies like the, the Lemonades and the Roots. It's been a hard time for these larger pre-IPO private companies that were hoping to go public this year and, and, and have raised a lot of money and want to give that money back to investors. It's been less of a difficult time for the startup companies that are just have a few million dollars of revenue, small teams are not spending a lot of money. So the downturn in the, in the public markets has affected all areas of venture capital, but I would say our area, Series A, it's def- is definitely affected a lot less than the Series D, Series E companies that are pre-IPO. Right, because you're not dealing with the mature, long stand, longer, longer standing companies who've raised tons and tons of money at all kinds of crazy valuations, right? Or at more mature valuations. Is that why? That's right. I mean, we we have about 35 active companies and, and you know some we've invested in this year, but some we've been in for many years. And some of them that we invested in Series A, you know, five years ago are now Series D, Series E companies and want to go public. So those companies are more affected by the downturn in, in the markets. But for the most part, our our portfolio is young and you know we're very hopeful investments we're making this year will will, will turn out to be great great uh, in investments when conditions get more normalized over the next few years you mentioned that you you and i think you were in your ninth fund um when we spoke last time a couple of years ago but you you mentioned that you're moving to your 10th fund talk about that for a second what i know that raising a fund is a big process, important process. Is that because you've used up the assets that were in the uh, the ninth and it's t- it's time to move on? And and also, what kind of reception are you finding in the markets to your work? We don't have anything to announce yet on our on our 10th fund. So it's in the process of, of coming together. I, I saw that Dan Reed from AmFam Ventures uh, came on and announced his, his, his new his new fund. Um, and I, I love Dan. He's 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 great. We work with them a lot, but we don't have but we don't have anything to uh, to announce like like Dan did. But it's in the process. So just for people that don't know uh, how it works, we invest one fund at a time, and you don't recycle the money in the fund. So you, when you make an investment and then you sell that company, the money goes back to the investors. You can't reinvest. Generally speaking. In, in a venture capital fund, you can't reinvest the money. So you want to continue to make new investments. You have to form a new fund. So our ninth fund has about has 11 investments in it currently. We'll probably end up 14, 15 investments. So we're about two-thirds of the way of through of, of the investments that we want to make in this fund. And we leave a, a big cushion to put additional money into those companies as well. So you know, very often in venture capital, you, you'll make multiple rounds of investments in the same in the same company. So we'll reserve a bunch of capital in our ninth fund for the investments that it's already made. We're going to make a few more of them. But then to continue investing well into 2024, we'll, we'll have our new fund up and running. It's going to be a lot of the same investors that are in our ninth fund, our eighth fund, 
we have great support from large majority of our 20 insurance companies, but we're hoping to get a bunch of more new investors in the fund as as well. So insurance companies can be a little slow. It wouldn't be a surprise to anybody uh, listening to this podcast to, to hear that. So it just takes a while for uh, for the fund to come together. My son, I, who I mentioned to you when we were speaking earlier, um, who's involved in uh, SMS startup for e-commerce. I mean, things move like, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. it's it's fast. Things are fast. And customers make decisions. They come and they go in a month, right? As somebody, as two people who've worked in the insurance industry for a very long time or around it, we know that nothing happens fast. And if it does, you have to wonder. Insurance companies take a long time to make decisions a lot of times. And that's going to be very hard for a startup because time is their enemy. They, they Startups raise money and only have a certain amount of window uh, before they run out of money and have to uh, raise raise again. So they, they want to sign up customers as quickly as possible. For us, we've been doing venture capital for 23 years. A lot of our investors are insurance companies that have been with us for many years. So we kind of like the stickiness. Uh, insurance companies are loyal and you know we, we think we have a good product for them. We've made a lot of money for for our investors over the years, so hopefully, uh, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of the work is is done in, in convincing investors to to be with us for the new fund. And they're relationship driven. I mean, if you do what you say you're going to do, essentially, and you can maintain a good relationship, like you said, they're sticky, and that's 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 a very positive thing. And for me, being on the have been on the service providers side for so long, that's really important. Absolutely, and I. One of the best things about my job is I, I, I really enjoy working with these insurance companies. In our first fund 23 years ago, we had other types of investors. We had two billionaire family offices. And not to disparage you know, a prior investor of ours, but let's just say you know, we, we go to the Midwest and we meet with uh, an insurance company's team. They're, they're down to earth, humble, great people that we really enjoy working with and they've been good partners of ours. So the teams of people that we work with, whether it's the investment team or the strategy team at these insurance companies, really it's one of the best parts of my job is, is to be able to work with uh, great people at insurance companies. And then to be, and then, and then on the other side are the entrepreneurs to work, work with primarily younger people that are starting new companies you know that that's that's uh, you know, and every and every company we look at is different. There's variety every day. You know, it could be something fintech, insurtech, different areas. Some entrepreneur has a, a new way of doing things. So so much of what we do is just interacting with people, and it's it's, you know, I I love what I do. I hope that shows, but it's because we we, we work with great people, and somebody we don't want to work with, we'll say no to them as an investment. And we'll say no to them as an investor. We have 20 insurance companies. We don't, you know, we don't, we don't need to work with bad people. If somebody comes by, even if they want to invest in us, we have to feel good about working with them as well. Right. I mean, if there's one thing that insurance companies have, it's cash. So uh, that, they, that is yeah, kind of their inventory. They have plenty of money, but they can only put a very small por- portion of their investment portfolio into, into venture capital. Into and something then, that, that has that risk profile. Right. And then they have to make a good return on that. A venture capital uh, company better beat their 
the insurance companies ROE target by a lot of money, by a lot to to do it. And we and we have that great track record, so that that's been um, that's been uh, help, helpful to raise money. You had said something about holding for five years. Is that still kind of just an operating number that you guys think about? Or does it is it really does it vary uh, investment to investment how long uh, a holding will be there? It varies from investment to investment. Our average you know, over a twenty three year period is about five and a half years, and that's because we our best investment ever was on the fintech side, a company called Marketa. We invested in twenty fifteen five million dollar investment, and in twenty twenty one it went public and we got out. We sold it. And the five turned into 300 million. So that, that's, wow. yeah, it's fantastic <laughs> investment. I missed, that's why I missed 2021 for, for selling companies and, and going public. But maybe that's, that skews the average a little bit, maybe because that was, it was such big dollars uh, exit. But our historical average is five and a half years. I think maybe, maybe the average is ticking up a little bit in this market because it's not a great year to sell things that you, you don't get the, you don't get the valuation. So venture capital people are holding on a, a little bit longer, but I think our five and a half year average is lower than the industry overall. Uh, and we tell investors, you know, things could be longer, could be shorter. It depends on market conditions. We're not going to sell something when, when, when the only, the only thing we can get is, you know, pennies on the dollar that wouldn't, that wouldn't make sense. We're going to, we're going to hold things until uh, it's the right time to sell. But I think, you know, five to six years is a, you know, is good, is good to keep in mind. So, and I think that for the, for the startups listening to, to the podcast and thinking about venture capital, they really need to be aligned with that five, six year holding period. If they want to raise some venture capital and sell the company next year, that's probably not a good fit for most venture capitalists because, you know, we, we want to make, we want companies to have time to mature and, and, you know, so you would think 15% is a, is a good return, but, you know, for us to invest a dollar and then a year from now to get a dollar 15 is not really what venture capital is all about. We want to invest in a dollar, hold it for five years and get $10 back. That, that's, so for your listeners, if your holding period is a year or two, you're probably not a good fit for venture capital. And if you want to run run the company indefinitely, if you want to pass it down to your children, venture capital is not a good fit either. I think you should be prepared to to if you have venture capital in your in your cap table, think about five six years and then consider selling the company. That that would be a great fit for us. Do you run up against uh, private equity or have to yeah. work cooperatively co- yeah. cooperatively with them on the investment side, not just on the sell side? It's mostly on the it's mostly on the sell side. They, they want to buy the companies that we're invested in. Private equity wants cash flow positive companies. A lot of the startups that we invest in initially are not cash flow positive, so it's more mature. We don't see them so much in the Series A. It's just too small, cash flow negative companies. A lot on it, but a lot of the best companies in InsureTech and fintech are owned by private equity because they've been cash flowing positive and private equity has stepped in. And I think, I, Rob, I got to put your company in that category, don't I? Uh, you guys uh, um, are a private company and I don't know your financials, but I know if I know you're doing well enough to get BlackRock to uh, to to buy you. So you must be doing you guys must be doing something very right. Yes, sir. We're we're 
were very well led and also uh, very well run. So we've done no, that, well. That, that's really credit to you because so many, so many sure techs have not really figured out how to how to generate a lot of cash flow, uh, are struggling with product market fit. So it's a real credit to you guys to uh, to be making real money in in the insure tech world, and and that's where that's where we see the private private equity. They want they want to buy up the the companies generating lots of cash. Let me ask you a question about what you're seeing today. So you mentioned companies that we used to call insure techs because they were insurance companies with a technology hook, like the hippos of the world or or what have you have had maybe their their day in the sun uh, they they're having they many of them are have struggled lately but going forward i think i think we can all agree that that insuretech is turning the the insuretech movement is turning in different directions and i want to talk for a minute about what what you're seeing there it seems like tools right people that are making tools that insurance companies can use and put into their processes are valuable and important. What are you seeing out there? Where, where, is it, where is it veering off to as it continues to grow and mature? It's a great question. I, I think people divide up the industry in different ways. To simplify things, maybe there's three major categories. One we see is distribution. So it's Agents, brokers, MGA, and then you know, lead gen and all these tools that help with distribution. The second, I think, are newer, innovative products. Cyber, you know, maybe been around ten years, but it hasn't been around fifty years. It's uh, I still put it in in the new in the new category. And then, you know, we've made investments on on companies focused, you know, specifically on wildfire risks or flood risks. Uh, it's Delos and Rethought, respectively. That are just newer types of, of products. I know those risks have been around for a long time, but I think the the underwriting and, and the approach to it, I, I would put it more on new product category. And then there's all the service providers to the industry and claims, which you know very well, and underwriting data analytics services. And I would say our insurance company investors are interested in all three, but they're most interested in the service providers. They're, from a strategic standpoint, they're, they, they want to know who can give us the best AI, data analytics, claims, underwriting, lead generation, all, all these types of, of services. And we look at, I would say, you know, more than half of InsureTech falls into that category. You know, people think of insure tech that you have to be an insurance carrier like Lemonade or something. That's just, you know, one percent of the of the all the companies are carriers, right? The, most of in, most of the startups uh, are service providers, so they really want to meet the insurance companies, which is great for us because we can introduce them to twenty carriers. But very very important on the strategic standpoint, I would say that as an investment, the service providers have not really proven themselves yet. Really the newer crop of, of insure techs in the last five or so years, there have been no IPOs of insure tech specific service providers in the last, you know, Guidewire, you got to go back a while, some, some public company like that. But but the, the companies um, 
there aren't that many that have reached the billion dollar valuation in the private markets. So we talk to all of them. We like them. But I, I feel like, and it's maybe a longer conversation, these service providers really just haven't broken out into you know, multi-billion dollar valuations like you see in payments or some fintech areas. Uh, on the other hand, the distributors seem to be doing really well in the public markets. You know, there's this, to, to name one IPO, there's Ryan Specialty. It's more insurance maybe than insure tech. Well, they have a lot of technology, but that company went public up a couple of years ago. It's worth $12 billion. It's, you know, it's, it's distribution as opposed to service providing. And I, I think that when we're looking for great investments today and things could change tomorrow, we're saying that these service provide. I'm sorry, these these distributors, they have the right product, you know, that they're selling the right markets. They can get big very quickly and 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 make and make a little mon- make a lot of money quickly. So that that's kind of what I'm thinking about today. There's a lot of money in selling and distributing insurance uh, as opposed to, and, and uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Kohl's and f- as opposed to like fly rule, who I know was one of your investments. Right. Which was, it was sold to Lexus Nexus, but yes. Sec- sold to a big, important company. And that, you know, made perfect sense to me, that acquisition. And he's still running around. I just saw him the other, I just saw him a few weeks ago at a conference, but there aren't many tools on the service provider side that have become like ubiquitous across the carrier landscape. And um, so I think that I, I just don't know that, and, and I hadn't thought about this before you just brought it up. I just don't know that we'll see those kinds of valuations uh, in, in things that are a specific part of a process. They're part of a process. They're not a revolutionary process in and of themselves. Right. And if you come up with a great you know, tool that an insurance company wa- wants to use, or lots of insurance companies wants to use. You can be a successful company, but will you be the billion-dollar company? I don't know because once once a giant company like an Allstate becomes a big customer, they're going to have pricing power. If they're starting to spend millions of dollars each year, they're going to think about maybe doing it in house. They're going to they're a sophisticated company. They're going to know what your margins are. They're going to try to squeeze you down. Not to pick on Allstate, I mean, I think all these big companies do that. And and the startups, unless you're doing something completely unique with you know intellectual property that you know an insurance company would take a five years to build, the, the, the startups don't have the pricing power on, on that. So that that that's a cha- that's a challenge. That's a challenge in, in the industry. But there are still great service providers out there. We we invest in them. We know we we do we do like claims, which which you do. You know we're we're in Snapsheet, which is a premier company in in the claims great great in the Love claims area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and and we continue to make those those investments. But I've been disappointed that there haven't been, you know, more super successful billion dollar type companies in the in the PNC service providers. But let me let me just add what. In addition to distribution, we like the intersection of health and and insurance because health not only the health insurers are interested in health insure tech, but the workers comp companies, the life insurers, long term care, disability insurance. So many of these insurance companies touch health. So the intersection of health and insure tech is very important to us. We have a 
uh, venture partner, Christy Lane, who's a world-class expert in, in that in that area. And then we like payments and some fintech that touches insurance. We just, uh, one of our most recent investments is a company called Payground, and it works on billing and payments for health insurers and really any any medical provider that interacts with with health insurers. So that's a you know that's a great growing area if you've ever if you've ever gotten a medical bill you know it's a big huge mess <laughs> the payments uh the payments part of it so they're they're trying to to solve solve some of those pain points um so those are t- some of the types of things that we r- really are very interested in today i don't really want to go down the the payments path but boy what an enormous stunning area of technology period but there's other things I I want that I want to touch on. Right. Um, just just to give you an idea, one payments company, PayPal, is worth more than every insure tech in the world combined. So to give you an idea, just how much bigger market value is uh, pay, payments. But that's why we think it's early innings in insure tech. Insurance is a huge area. And we like investing in insure tech. It's 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 going to catch up to some of these areas. Uh, rising tide's not going to raise every boat, but we think in, insure tech as a whole is going to get a lot more valuable industry wide over the next five ten years. That's why we're investors in. It. I, I agree. I I I mean, as somebody who's been in the industry for a long time, I still think it's early days, right? And you even more, way more so than me. I mean, who've been at this for decade, literally decades. In this in this space, you're seeing you you have a much better touch of it. But I want I want to before we leave the these specific areas that of evolution, we have to bring up AI. I I had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago. I was at a conference and I sat with a senior executive from Verisk, and he I was sitting at a dinner with him and we got to talking, and we, he ended up spending like two hours with me just taking me through this whole primer on AI and, and what's up and some of the more cutting, interesting edge, interesting stuff that's out there. I was shocked and stunned and blown away. I mean, I'm, I'm an old guy, right? And so AI for me, is st- I'm still struggling to keep up and understand it. But boy, once it filters its way into our space, don't you expect that to be as big a deal as we're hearing about for the insure tech world? Yeah. I mean, the AI is already there in, in insure tech. Just in the last six months or a year, we've seen a ton of, of startups. A lot have their own proprietary tech, tech technology. Some use chat GPT or, or, or some off the shelf technology uh, in the, in the background, but not only in insure tech, but almost all areas of venture capital AI has been the biggest topic in the last year. So just to, there's lots of different AI. I'll tell you what we think is, is the most impactful today. And, and we think it's the ones that use language. So there's these large language models. So people know chatbots and, and people know that, you know, AI can go through 50 years of claims in information and, 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 and sort, sort through it so much faster than, than humans. And, and that's, that's where we're seeing a lot of the use cases in insurance. So anything that that has to do with the written word or, or spoken word seems to be a revolution in AI uh, in, in insurance these days. 
the visual part, using AI for images, video, I think is, is, is far behind. And we've made investments in that area and they just haven't worked out as quite as well as, as we, as we wanted. I think uh, coal and flywheel is an exception to, to that. And that, that was a positive uh, investment for us. Uh, but, but I, and, and you might see this in, in auto claims, uh, the AI cannot, you know, assess an auto claim as well as a human today, but maybe that will come in the, you know, physical damage claim. Maybe that will come in, in the next few years, but but today you still need a human to to uh, adjudicate that that claim. But on the on the language side, we're just seeing so many different use cases for for PNC insurance. So we we currently look at a lot of. AI companies, the ones that are truly AI and have their own technology, command very high valuations. So general, generally speaking, we're seeing great companies at reasonable valuations, but the, the AI companies, are the valuations seem to be a little bit higher than reasonable just because there's there's so much talk about, well, about AI. You, you, can't, you can't beat sexy. Yeah, um, I think that's, I think that's, and, and we're, and we're not the right person to, to pay up for you know, a company that has no revenues, but it has AI, so it wants a hundred million dollar valuation. We're just not the right firm. There are firms, maybe Silicon Valley firms that will do something like that. But, you know, we like to see real traction and reasonable valuations. But we we, we made an AI-based investment recently. It's called Sparta Science. It's kind of on that health and insure tech intersection. You know, health data, there's so much data out there. So, you know, our, our thinking is a lot of healthcare assessments in the future, you might not need to go to the doctor initially. You might just be able to punch all your data into the into the AI, and the AI can be the, the first level diagnosis. Of course, go to a doctor if, you know, something's acute or there's a, you know, a immediate problem, but the, the AI will be able to analyze the data far already better than, than a human in analyzing all your health data. Absolutely. I think about my Apple Watch, which I wear religiously. And I'm a, one of those people who's a little, maybe a little more focused on my health than I should be. Uh, my doctor calls me a hypochondriac, but what does he know? It's not like he went to school for that. So, um, but seriously, I think about it, an AI that can take all the data that you're tr- that, that is being kept track of on you and capture all that and synthesize and diagnose. Of course, that's not that far off. It ex- I'm sure it exists in, in certain forms and fashions today. That's right. And, and because we're, in a, we're a post-revenue investor, we only invest in companies that already have customers. This, this Sparta science, we don't necessarily have to evaluate you know, the code, the AI code, and, and, and check it out. We we go to the customers and their customers are the NFL's using it. The U S air force is using it. I'm like, all right, they, they have real sophisticated, knowledgeable customers that care a lot about health. That just makes our due diligence so, so much easier that when companies have well-regarded customers that we can talk to. I want to ask you about a couple other specific things. I know you guys have invested in cannabis. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. 
yeah, in the insurance part of cannabis, right? We're right, not, we don't right. invest in growers <laughs> no, or you're not, <laughs> you haven't, <laughs> right. right? So, yeah, the, hey, did you hear Andy Lerner's invested in growing pot? Yeah, That's don't, great. don't, um, <laughs> you know, we, we take money from financial institutions or investors, they, they, that's not was so our cannabis related investment is frontier risk and we actually did it outside of our funds we invited our investors in because a lot of insurance companies are you know hesitant to touch anything related to cannabis even though this is a it's a it's an insurance it's licenses insurance agency so cannabis companies and we're talking you know legal companies in a lot of states that grow or sell cannabis products have very, very hard time getting insurance because so many insurance companies, brokers don't want to touch it. But these are you know, legal companies that want to abide by the law. They need insurance. They're required to have workers' compensation and some other insurance by law. So we started uh, Frontier Risk. The CEO, James Whitcomb, comes from the cannabis industry. He's very well connected. What a fantastic CEO. And from complete startup, you know, he's built this uh, cannabis focused agency to, to sell insurance. They'll become an MGA as well. And from a pure startup, they're, they're really doing well, exceeding our, our goals we had for them for the first year or two of, of, of operations. So, so this is a little different than venture capital where you invest in a company that's already up and running. This is one that we helped start from, from day one. We used our own personal money and then we invited insurance companies to, to come in and, and turns out a bunch of other venture capital investors wanted to invest, some, some specialized in cannabis, some no insurance, but it has a good mix of, of VC investors uh, today. So it's, uh, it, it's really tracking very well. Thank you for asking about it. Is that only in states where it's legal? Right. You know, in some states, cannabis is, is legal for, you know, anybody 21 and older, some it's you know medical reasons so if you count the states where the the medical cannabis is legal it's actually a fair amount of states it's interesting to have this weird niche out there that i get i mean i guess they have banking problems too right they I huge mean, huge they banking problems congress has been you know tinkering with laws to address it but it, it hasn't passed yet and is the holdup that, like in a state like California, I live, I live in California. In California, it's legal. It's completely legal, you know, under the guidelines that are established for it. But they need insurance, like you're saying. They need insurance. And, you know, any area that's regulated, basically, people want to shy away from cannabis. Banks might technically be able to bank cannabis companies, but their regulator might frown on it. So they, they stay away. In California, you, you, I'm sure see a lot of billboards for for cannabis because they don't advertise on on the airwaves, right? They're not on TV or, or radio because those are regulated regulated of, right. of industries. So, and a lot of them or most of them don't take credit cards because that goes through the banking system. So these are companies with a lot of cash. So they need insurance, right? If you're handling a lot of a lot of cash in your storefront, you become a, a target for for crime. So the, I would say these the cannabis sellers and growers have more of a need for insurance than the average company. I want to ask about another specific area that's come up just recently that's maybe unique. You you mentioned earlier that there's also a lot of tech going on in Ukraine, but I wanted to ask about Israel 
in particular, but but Ukraine fits as well. I don't know. Do you have any investments? Or are you familiar with any investments that are in either of those countries? And and what effect does it have when a war breaks out in the middle of a business opportunity? It's a major issue. Israel is a very important region for global insure tech. We don't have any in Israel-based companies in our portfolio right now. We used to in, in years past, but uh, some of the tech teams of, of companies we've invested in are, are based in Israel, and we have uh, another company that has their tech team based in, in Ukraine. And it's it's disruptive, but I have to tell you, these, these soldiers that are called into the military, a lot of them are doing two jobs at once. A lot of them bring their laptops in on the front lines are still working, believe it or not, right? It sounds incredible, but... They're so loyal to their countries, they, they know the economies of the country can't shut down either, right? So they're doing two jobs at once. They're, they're called into military service and they're still managing to do some tech work. But it's an incredibly difficult situation. So I don't know what's going to happen, course of wars and, and so forth. But both Israel and Ukraine have been popular areas to outsource, uh, for U.S. companies to outsource uh, technical technical work. So it, it, has an, it has had an impact on the whole industry, not just companies that are based in Israel. Right. We've had many uh, Israeli companies on many times where it's, uh, you know, we'll have some, we'll be recording the podcast and it's, of course, 11 hours later there. And we send a, a shout out to all those companies and, and wish for them uh, nothing but the best. A couple of questions I want to ask you before we go. You're the managing director. That's a title that I don't fully understand. Can you explain what a managing director is? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 um... <laughs> I mean, you're the boss. Does that mean you're the boss? I, I am the boss of, 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 of my firm, but when, when it's a partnership, I use the term managing partner. If it's a corporation, you use managing director, but basically, I don't run a dictatorship, right? We have an investment committee. I'm one of three people on on our investment committee that decides decides the investments. And honestly, our whole team gets tremendous input in everything that we do. I mean, the the, the more junior people that do all the work and due diligence on, on these companies, that those are who we rely on to to do it. But in the industry, managing directors, a senior level individual that has you know a say in a major say in in investment activities and governance. Uh, my firm is a, a you know it's a small firm, right? Only four, fourteen full part time people, but I I am the head individual. I also want to ask you about you went to Wharton. I got my MBA at Wharton University. You have an MBA from Wharton. In today's, do you think that the the need for an education has changed? Do you think it's do you still think it's terribly important? I mean, of course, I'm sure you're biased towards it. I am myself. I have an MBA. I think it's an important thing. What are your thoughts? I mean, because you're you're seeing people come in all the time, some who maybe never even graduated high school, but they're just brilliant and they, and, and they have a capability and capacity that defies school. What, what are your thoughts around getting an MBA or going to school in today's landscape? I don't know if there's one formula that that fits for everybody. We don't really see many, if any, high school dropouts, but we see 
plenty of college dropouts that go to uh, that want to start companies. And I think with Mark Zuckerberg at, at, at Facebook, that became more popular, dropped out of Harvard, form, formed this super successful company. But most of the by far the most of the entrepreneurs we talked to were are college are college graduates. But if somebody dropped out of school to, to be a founder at a company, we would just give we would give them equal consideration to somebody with a college degree. Graduate school, I think, is optional. If your career's going great and you're doing well, uh, and you you don't want to make a career change and you see success ahead of you, I don't think you need to go to business school. But if you want to make a change, do something different, and you know, expand your your network, then you know, business school could really work well for you. Last question. So as you look out, you, we were talked about the five to six year time horizon. What, what, where do you think we'll be in five years? Any thoughts on that? I'll tell you, but you can't, you can't put me on five years from now and say how wrong I was. So. <laughs> well, first of all, I'd love to put you on five years. From now. <laughs> right. But, but right. Well, let's, let's, let's get through the five years first. Yeah. Well, I, I think the, the public markets will get back to more normal conditions. A year where there's no fintech and tech IPOs is very much an anomaly. So I think capital markets will get back. Hopefully, interest rates will be will be lower. I don't know about insurance cycles, hard market, soft market. You know, today today it's a very hard market for lots of insurance uh, or reinsurance areas. Hard to find reinsurance in some, you know, Florida homeowners, for example, is California homeowners is very hard to find reinsurance. But I I I don't know five years from now, but I think that's why we try to make bets on things that are just a long-term cyclical trend. So we like digital insurance distribution because people are every year are buying insurance through digital channels more and more and through face-to-face channels less. So we try to look at these long-term trends that we can bank on and not try to time hardness, softness in the marketplace. So AI is going to be more important five years from now than it is today. Uh, you know, that attracts us to, to AI. But yeah, the, the actual, you know, stock prices or interest rate levels, those we find are hard to predict. And, but you can, what you can count on is that if things are trading at a very high level, we're going to be, that year we're going to sell more things than, than invest. And if things are at very low levels like they are this year, we're going to be investing more than we're selling. So you uh, followed the Warren Buffett rule, and that's when uh, others are scared. That's when you get greedy. Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, we do try to like you know buy low, sell high. We don't always get it right, but that's what our business is. You know, hedge funds can go short; they can bet against the market. Venture capital funds can't do it. So if 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 it's a bad time to invest, you, you just sit on your hands. But you know, we're confident that the 2023 vintage of investments and 2024 are going to turn out quite well. Do you think the valuation phase that we went through in the teens into, you know, 20 to 2020 is just a thing of the past because free money is a thing of the past, you know, interest free money almost. And and so do valuations continue to reset going forward? And move moving away from those days. I don't think, at least in the near term or medium term, we're going to get back to the high fintech and sure tech valuations we had. But 
things can certainly go up a lot from where they are today. So this, just to give you this fintech public stock money lion, it got beat up over the last couple of years and the stock was down a lot, but then they they posted some good earnings and good outlook and the stocks doubled in the last month. So I think things can can get very good very quickly, especially if interest rates come down and, and companies start posting good earnings. But no, I don't think the, the, the companies that are down 90% are going to get back to where they were. Well, great to have you back. Thanks for checking in with us. It's it's good to have you back. And and thanks for the kind words. And I, I love that. You know, as, uh, Lee and I have talked many times. We have literally hundreds of episodes. Um, it's a lot of information. I'm thrilled that it's that the library is meaningful, like you said. It's, it, it, it's a it's, place for people who are interested in, in working with your company can go and learn about your company. It's great. It's meaningful. There's only so much information we can put on our website. It's not kind of the personal touch that, that you guys have. You make your database searchable, and that works really well. So it is a real resource for the for the whole industry. And I would encourage people, if you're looking at venture capital, don't even don't listen just to my podcast. Listen to these. You know, you've had so many great guests from from the VC industry, people we work with and, and know and respect. Uh, I, I think it's a it's a great value for uh, startups to to listen to a whole series of your podcasts. Great. Thanks for the endorsement. <laughs> Appreciate great. it. And listen, have a good time where you are and stay warm. You're warmer than where you might have been. And we'll talk to you before five years, I'm sure. Absolutely. I look forward to coming back again. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Andy. So I was uh, running through the hallways at ITC and saw Andy running into a meeting. Of course, Andy's one of those guys who has meetings from morning till night at InsureTech Connect. And I bumped into him. I'm like, oh, great to see you. <laughs> we would love to have you back on the podcast. And he said, sure, just just send me an email. And that was the entire meeting was that long. And and we did. And he said yes. And, and you can see why after that. He's a wonderful man, a generous man, and a brilliant guy. And so please listen to what he had to say. Feel free to reach out to him at IA Capital Group. And feel free to reach out to us, either myself or the slacker who didn't show up today, Lee Boyd, or our producers, Alicia Moss and Al Moya, who we also thank for their work. And you, most importantly, thanks for being here. And we will talk to you next time on the next episode of FNO InsureTech. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>